0: good, right? We used to call that the five second rule. Anybody else have that rule in your home? I think we still have it. Now it's about the two minute rule. If it stays on the floor for two minutes, it's still fine, right? It's still good. Well, welcome everybody to our service today. I'm Pastor Kurt, and I'm so glad to welcome you. Everybody that's at home, everybody that's watching online today, thank you for pivoting so fast and making the change with us. Uh, most of you know that I received a phone call from our mayor, Scott Korthuis, on Friday. And just really wanted to have us consider closing our in-person services uh, because of an uptick uptick in the COVID virus. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but at the Waste Treatment Plant, they actually count the virus and other things in the wastewater, which really means... Your poo. And so they're counting viruses and little bitty things in our poo. Fortunately, they can't trace it back to your home personally because that'd be embarrassing, wouldn't it? Um, but they do this and apparently the numbers jumped from like 300 parts per whatever to about a million parts. And so they're suggesting that there's people walking around in Linden that might quite possibly get sick next week and they would like us to minimize that and contain that as much as possible. So that's why we're meeting uh, online today and we're not meeting in person. We want to do our part. We want to care for our community and make sure that we can keep everybody as safe as possible. So there's that. So thank you, Mayor Scott, for doing a great job. We love you. And Gary Viss, thank you so much at the chamber as well. You know, I've heard people say this to me before. They've said, I don't know how I could possibly bring a baby into this world. Well, I want to tell you, I can. I could do that easily, and this is my new grandbaby. Uh, this is Winona. Elaine, we're calling her Winnie, and I can tell you that babies are God's reminder that it's still good, right? Life is still good. There's still a goodness about life, and we can still bring babies into this world and believe that God is going to be faithful. Amen? If you're at home, say amen this morning. Amen. Well, last Sunday, most of you know that I skipped out on the service, and I took care of my little grandbaby named Trilby, she's two years old, uh, while her mommy had this baby, And uh, I, I think I might have had the harder job. I might have had the tougher job. I don't know for sure. But Trilby's pretty active. Uh, And during this time where life's been a little unsettled for Trilby, we've let her have her binkies. So she had her binkies the entire time. She calls them her dodos. And and let me tell you something about dodos or binkies. If you ever want your kid to have a great immune system, just let them have binkies. I mean, these binkies end up everywhere, and nobody cleans them off anymore. You do that for the first week when you have a newborn. You know, the mama sucks on the binky and cleans it off, but these binkies end up in the playground sand, they end up on the slide, they end up all over the place, there's things clinging to them when she puts it back in her mouth, I'm telling you, she has a great immune system, and no matter where that binky has been, let me tell you what Chilby believes about that binky, is that it is still good, it is still good. Well, over the last 10 months uh, of our existence, uh, it's been more than challenging, I think, to find the still good in life. Uh, Life's been pretty tough, and where we've seen a lot of stress is we've seen a lot of stress put on our families, and this stress has caused some damage, just like the red sucker you see on the screen. Uh, This stress has caused some cracking and some crumbling around the edges, and so for this series, we're going to be talking about how even though we have suffered... And even though our families have had great difficulties, and there's been crumbling and sometimes even some crushing, that the family is still good. The family is still good. But you have to look for goodness. You can't just give in to the the difficulties and the the hard, hard things that are happening in life. You've got to choose to find goodness in your family, and you have to enjoy it. You might say we need to find the five-second rule for our families, right? When we get dropped in the dirt, when we get a little dusty, when we get a little crumbly, uh, we have to pick up our families and we have to, you know, clean them off and brush them off and and find the goodness that still remains in our families. So in this series, we're going to talk about how to keep our friends. And our family and our life still good. So I want to kick us off today by talking about what I believe is the greatest family, and that is our church family. It's God's family. It's the family that God is the father of and that he has invited us to uh, enjoy and to be a part of with him as our father. So if you want to turn in your Bible this morning or on your phone to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, that's where we're going to start. Or you can follow along with us on the screen. It says this, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So you might say that even though we get dropped in the dirt and get a little dusty and dirty, that God still sees us through Christ. So he still sees us as still good. So let's talk about this church family that God gave us. He created it. God loves it. He loves his church family. He takes great pleasure in us, is what this verse says. All believers in Christ, all around the world, for all time. Remember this. Think about this. God takes great pleasure in us, and we are still good. Now, if you're like me, I tend to view my nuclear family, which is my spouse, my kids, my grandkids, um, my parents, when I had them, I view them as my primary family, right? But truly, God's family is our primary family because this is a forever family. Our families are going to pass away. We're going to go into heaven as brothers and sisters in Christ, not as wives and husbands and parents. And so truly God's family is the forever family, and He planned for us. Get this. He planned for us to be in His family even before He made the world. Talk about family planning. God is the master of family planning. In fact, God knew that 2020... Last year was going to happen exactly the way it happened. And even though we're a little tattered and tired through the things like, you know, mandates and we're divided over politics, we're still good. And especially in the eyes of God, through Christ, we are still good. So that's number one in your notes today. If you're keeping notes with me, God's family is still good. It's still good. So why is that? Why is God's family still good, even if it's a little broken, even if it's been kicked around a little, even if it's been on the ground? Because of Jesus. God's family is still good because of Jesus. Jesus is at the center of God's family, at the center of our forever family. And God loves his family. And God designed this forever family for us. Do you know that it says in Psalm 68 that God sets lonely people in families? And not just nuclear families, but also the church family. I know many of you are a part of North County Christ the King or, or any other church that you can find that preaches Jesus. And that has become your family. That has become your home. That is where you feel connected and cared for. And God loves that. Another reason God's family is still good is because God's the Father. And we know and we sing this song that he is a good, good Good father. Right. So God's family is still good, even though we're broken, even though we're dirty, because God is good and he loves us unconditionally and he loves us well. And we connect around Christ and God's family gives us a place to have community, to care about each other, to love each other and lift each other up, even when the rest of the world is really, really struggling. So let's be honest, though. It's been a challenging year for the church. You know, we've been told, among other things, that we can't meet. Remember that back in March? Uh, We can't see each other's faces, which is primary for us who love fellowship. We can't visit our elderly parents. We can't honor somebody who has died. We can't sing. We can't invite more than 30 people to a wedding. Think of all these things that have happened that have truly been bad for the church. But still, the church is good. There's still things about the church that are powerful. Even being able to meet together this morning online is still good. Amen. If you're joining us today, you know that this is still good. So the Bible gives us some great ways to be still good, even when life around us is challenging and is hard. You see, when we're stressed, if you're like me, you tend to be uh, less than loving right? You maybe tend to be a little irritable. My staff tells me this. Maybe you tend to cut people off and, and interrupt people a little bit more, and I tend to do that as well. Maybe you tend to be a little bit impatient. So I want to lead you through, as a church family, some great ways to practice goodness. How can we be good when times are hard? So let's go to Ephesians 4 now, verses 2 through 6, Ephesians 4. Let me read it, and I'm just going to unpack this for you this morning. So the verse, first verse says, always be humble and gentle. Be humble and gentle. What does that mean? Well, as you know, I already told you, Friday I got a call from our mayor, Scott, who is a brother in Christ. He's a brother in the Lord. And I got a text from our chamber president, Gary Viss, and he's a brother in the Lord. These are not just city officials. They're brothers in Christ. And they explained to me that the sewer testing for COVID took a huge spike on, on Thursday and that they were going to expect a big impact to our community. And so I met with many of our ministry leaders on our staff, and we agreed 100% that we wanted to support our mayor, our brother in Christ, and our community, and take a break from meeting in person today and possibly next week. That's why we're not meeting. That's a great example of humility. It's a great example to consider somebody else's request or somebody else's need as as important as your own or more important as your own. And you won't always relent. There will be times when you have to go with what your uh, belief is. But in this case, this is what we believe, that we're going to be humble and we're going we're to consider how we can help you, Mayor, and how we can help our community, the community of Linden and Whatcom County. That's why we're not meeting in person today. The second line says this, Be patient with each other. Anybody have a problem with patience? Any parents out there? Even as a grandparent, I can tell you it's better, but I still get impatient. And this scripture is telling us don't give way to annoyance or to frustration. Even though you feel it, try really hard to to keep things still good. And the way you do that is try to not communicate out of that annoyance or that frustration. Because if you do, especially with your kids, what it will tell them is there's something wrong with them, not just something wrong with what they did. So we want to talk about the content, the issue, and not and not transfer our annoyance and frustration to give a message that there's something wrong with you, right? People deserve our patience. Why? Because Jesus is patient with us. Think about how patient... And only you know how patient Jesus is with you. And then, and then imagine that that is how he wants us to be with one another. So I always like to ask myself the question, would I want to live with me today? It's a great question to ask yourself when you start feeling annoyed and frustrated. Here's the third line. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Now, I'm going to surprise you with this. Possibly the Bible presumes that we all have faults. The Bible never says that we're expected to be perfect until that day that we come face to face with Jesus. We all have faults and we're supposed to make allowance for each other's faults. Now let me unpack that a little bit. Faults are not sins. Okay, we we don't make allowance for sins. Sins sin is never right. And sin is hurtful not only to the one being sinned against, but to the one that's doing the sinning. And so we don't make allowance for sin, but we do make allowance for faults. And you can think about faults more like like character flaws, like things that annoy others about you, right? Like the way I chew my food or leaving the toilet seat up. In my case, I, I get annoyed when people leave it down, right? How about my bad dad jokes? Yeah, those can be annoying as well. But here's the point. To not disqualify one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, because of the ways we're different or we're odd or we're strange to one another, and to do this for the sake of love. So make allowance for each other's character flaws, each other's idiosyncrasies, each other's difference in personalities, and love each other through those things. The next line says, make every effort to keep yourself United in the Spirit. Now, this is so key uh, to keep things still good in the church. United in the Spirit. Bind yourself together with peace. Now, some of you wonder what Jesus values. And I want to tell you what I see Scripture saying that he values more than anything else is unity. In his body. We're not going to be unified with the world because we don't agree with the world, right? They're going to be doing things, saying things. We can't be unified. But we can be unified in the body of Christ. Why does Jesus value unity? Because it's his body. It's his body. How would you like it if your body was all disjointed and tangled up and ripped up and torn apart? Jesus values unity in his body because it's his body. And he wants us to value unity in the spirit over everything else, over our perceived rights, over our perceived ideas that we must be right and that what we think and believe is right. You know, peace comes from focusing our attention on the one important thing that's going to last beyond politics and beyond pandemics. And what's going to last beyond politics and beyond pandemics is the family of God, the body of Christ. And Jesus wants us to be unified And we're not always going to be unified in politics. We're not always going to be unified in pandemics or mandates. But we can be unified in Jesus. We all believe the same thing about Jesus. We all love Jesus. We all know that we're going to be going home with Jesus. So you better start liking each other. Because Jesus is going to take us all home one day. That's what Jesus has done for us and the Spirit has done for us, who binds us together in unity and in peace. Let's read verse 4. It says, For there is one body and one spirit, just as you've been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and in all and living through all. Now, what's the repeating word in those verses? It's the word one. Right? And Jesus loves oneness in his body more than anything else. It's the thing that God values most highly in the church. It's oneness. Why? Because it's evidence of his spirit that is present in us and among us. And when we allow his spirit to help us love one another, even though we're different, it's incredibly glorifying to God. Paul basically said, you know, really, All doctrine aside, you really believe need to believe in just one thing, and that is to be unified around Christ crucified and risen. That's what Paul said. He said, put all the other stuff aside. Let's just be unified around this one thing. Christ crucified and risen. And to God, still good means still unified. Let's look at number two today in your notes. Still good means still unified. And let me tell you something this morning that I am so incredibly aware of, and that is that Satan has a goal for the church. Just like God has a goal for the church, and you might have a goal for the church, Satan has a goal for the church. Do you know what it is? It's to divide it and to destroy it. That's his goal, and he'll use anything and anyone to do this, and this year he did. It's been quite a year for the church to practice unity, hasn't it? Between politics and pandemics and racial tensions, it's been quite a year, and our unity is also challenged this morning because we can't meet in person. And I know you feel all different kinds of things about that. Some of you have been meeting online for 10 months, and maybe that has caused a little bit of feelings of disunity in your heart. Well, I tell you this, this morning, my own wife watches church online most of the time because she works in health care and she works with the elderly. And so she's committed to staying as safe as she can for the vulnerable people that she works with. So once in a while, when she really feels like she's got to, she comes. But normally, normally she's at home watching with all the rest of you that watch online. And I understand that about people who can't come and meet in person. So here we are today. All of us were in unity. We're taking a break from meeting in person, but we're still unified. We're still one. Like Becky said, we are still one. The Spirit of God is still holding us together. And I want to tell you something about North County, and that is that we are deeply committed to this unity. We are deeply committed to keeping things about Jesus, about Him crucified, and about Him risen. And that's where oneness in the Spirit comes from. Now, Jesus prayed for this oneness in John seventeen twenty two. He said, I've given them the glory that you, Father, gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them, and you are in me. And here it is. May they, that's you, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much, get this, you love them, Father, as much... As you love me. Jesus prayed that the Father would love you as much as he loves his own Son. Jesus. Why is that? Again, it's because we're his body. We're the body of Christ. We're the family of God. So, the key to unity is keeping life about Christ. That's the key. You know what I love about God's church? I love the fact that we're all so incredibly diverse and different, and yet we are one in the Spirit. It's an amazing miracle that God has done. We certainly don't all believe the same things, even doctrinally. You know, North County, with its couple thousand people, have doctrinal beliefs that are all over the map. Yet, about this one thing, Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen, we agree. We agree. And that is what Paul says, and that is what God says keeps us together in unity. We may differ politically. In fact, I would say we absolutely do differ politically in in all different degrees. And we may differ in doctrine. And we may differ in what we believe about masks and mandates and how we respond to those kinds of things. You might disagree that we closed today. And that's okay. Still, we are unified around jesus christ at the end of the day if you believe in jesus and if you belong to jesus then you're stuck with me (laughs) for all of eternity we're going to be together with him forever so get used to unity i love how jesus closed his prayer in john 17 he not only prayed for his disciples that were in the room but he also prayed for you you weren't even born yet you weren't even thought about yet and yet jesus thought about you Here's the prayer from John 17, verse 20. He said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you have sent me. Do you know how many governments have risen and fallen since Jesus prayed these words? I don't. There's a bunch of them. Do you know how many political parties there have been, kingdoms and dictatorships and communism and socialism and democracies and republics, all kinds of them? And yet this has remained true through it all, that we have unity in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So why not today? Why not today? Why, Why would we not have unity in Jesus Christ, Him crucified and risen? Again, I want to remind you that God places an incredible amount of value on unity, on oneness. And so it makes sense when you consider that we are Christ's body, that we, his church, are his body, that when you say things or do things that cause disharmony or disunity in the body of Christ, you're damaging his body. You're damaging his oneness. So it's okay to believe other things, but you don't have to use them as a weapon against one another. You can approach each other in the way that we described, in making allowance for each other's faults or differences, in being gentle and being patient, you know, in being humble. Let somebody else believe what they believe. Now, that being said, there's going to be times that we have to call each other out and make difficult decisions that sometimes affect our happiness. And if there's sin involved, of course, again, we're going to speak the truth in love, but still we unify Around Christ, We believe Jesus, and we choose to still love and forgive one another, even if we've been hurt in church. And let me tell you, I've been in church a long time, almost 60 years. And I can tell you that one thing's true about church. If you stay there longer than a day, you're going to be hurt. And so just expect that. And that's why we have the beautiful thing of forgiveness, and we have the beautiful fact that when we choose to love, we still have unity. That's number three. Last point today. Unity happens when we choose to love one another. The Bible says in Galatians 6.10, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good. Can you say that with me? Do good. Say that in your homes. Come on. Do good. We should do good to everyone. Now get this, especially to those in the family of faith. We're supposed to love our neighbor. But now Paul says we're supposed to do good especially to those who are fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He singles the church out and says, hey, the world's going to look at you and they're going to notice whether or not you're good to one another. So Paul says, let's be good to each other. Last week, my wife and I went to lunch at the fairway tent. Have you seen the fairway tent out here? You know, the one that you can't catch COVID in, that tent. Uh, There was only one table open because it's packed in there. And there were a couple of young moms that drove in the same time we did, and we recognized one mom She goes to our church. We know her. We love her. And so I said to them, hey, go get that table. And then it turned out they're big, long tables. So I said, hey, can we be your family today and join you at the table? And because I'm a pastor, who's going to say no, right? And so they let us sit down by them. And so we ate our lunch. It was great. And Gwen and I got our bill first. And so I whispered to our server. I said, can we pay for theirs? And I pointed over to the girls. And uh, she said, sure. And so she took care of it for us, right? Now, why would we do that? Why would a Dutchman part with another 30 bucks or whatever from his wallet? And I will tell you why. It's because we choose to love. We choose to be generous. And my wife and I remember what it was like to be poor and remember what it was like to be on a budget And so there are times when we just say, hey, let's give them this or let's pick up this. And we love to do that. Nobody told us we had to do that. But doing good is something that comes more and more naturally as you walk with a good God. And doing good to one another in the family of God builds unity like nothing else. It builds unity. Choosing to love builds unity. And doing good also means we don't practice sinning. And so I want to close with this today from 1 John 3, 9, that one of the things that keeps the body of Christ still good and keeps us, you know, uh, loving and keeps us unified and in oneness is the fact that we choose to stop sinning against one another. So 1 John 3, 9 says, those who've been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. We choose to stop sinning against one another. Now, there may be times when we fall and fail, I understand that, but we're talking about patterns of sin here that we decide not to do. And so choosing not to sin against one another means that we assess others' needs and then we do our best to meet those needs and sometimes there's going to be conflicting needs and we can't meet them all like this weekend this is a great example lots of people would say they needed to be in church this morning but this weekend a greater need emerged and it was the need to love our leader the leader of our community and it was the need to help and serve our community and try to keep people uh, keep the infection rate curbed and so we said okay for this weekend and maybe next we're going to help meet this need we're going to do good to our community. But here's the thing. We always do good with the kingdom in mind. You always want to have God's kingdom in mind. Don't just do good for the sake of doing good. Do good with God's kingdom in mind and realize you're building his kingdom and you're building his family when you do good things in the name of Christ and for the sake of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, being a good witness. Jesus said in John 18, he said, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. If it were, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. I really believe the Holy Spirit's been speaking this truth. This verse has been on my heart for months now. For months. That sometimes we're tempted as people, especially politically, to get drawn into the wrong kingdom. And to make life about that worldly kingdom. Or to make life about our own kingdom, our little kingdoms, right? Our finances, our happiness. To make life about any other kingdom but the kingdom of God. And I want to encourage you this morning that as we talk about still good, this is going to be a primary key for you to consider. What kingdom are you serving as you live your life? And what are you doing that causes the kingdom of God to be still good even when all the other kingdoms are a little bit messed up. Listen, when we choose to value any of these lesser kingdoms over Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, then we divide the body of Christ. And so we need to come back to serving and loving the kingdom of God, the body of Christ, the family of God, and choosing unity. And you choosing unity is what makes us, the church, still good. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning, we are so incredibly grateful that you are good. And you proved your goodness to us by sending Jesus to us. You proved your goodness to us to by reaching out to us and calling us into relationship with you. And if you're listening today online and you're hearing my voice, today would be a great day to respond to Jesus Christ And to invite him to be your Savior. He he only intends good for you. He only intends good for you. And so when you choose to receive Jesus as your Savior, you choose to receive his love, his grace, his acceptance, and his eternal life. So if you want to do that this morning, just pray with me now. Lord Jesus Christ, I've heard today that you are good, and I've heard that your church is good, and that you intend good for me, and that you've come. And given your life to forgive my sins. To cleanse me from my shame and my guilt. And to bring me into relationship with God. And so this morning, Lord Jesus Christ, I respond to you. I give you my life. I invite you into my life. And I say, Lord, be my Savior. And be my Lord. Help me to turn from my old life and help me to walk humbly with my God. And Lord Jesus, I pray over us as a church that we would live in such a way that people would look at your church and they would say, yeah, there's a lot wrong with it. There's a lot of challenges and things we struggle with. But at the end of the day, they would look at the church and they would say, the church is still good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Would you worship with us this morning as we close?